Samuel is preaching as a prophet. Now, we often get caught up in prophets predicting the future as though that's their main responsibility. It's not. It happens biblically, but a prophet's main responsibility is correction. So we left off with Samuel finally in his full role. He's been called to ministry. He is over Israel as the judge, as the priest, as a prophet. And some time has gone by because the opening verse of chapter 8 tells us this. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old, he made his sons judges over Israel. So apparently a lot of time has passed because Samuel is now old. What does that tell us? It tells us that during the time Samuel was the judge over Israel, there wasn't a lot of stuff going wrong. There wasn't a lot of story to tell because they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. Samuel was a great leader. The Israelites were following him when their hearts were repentant towards God. And there's just not a lot of story to tell. But then Samuel gets old. And what does he do? He places his sons as judges over Israel. Now, the book of Judges we went through that. None of the judges had heirs. None of the other judges set up their sons as leaders over Israel. Samson didn't have a, have a son that he put over Israel. Neither did Gideon, neither did Deborah. This is a new thing. This is something weird that Samuel is doing. He's, not, he's just old and he sees a gap. He sees something that needs to be fulfilled. He wants to replace himself as leader because he, he's aware that his time is running shorter. He's probably around 60 years old at this time. So he does what really I think any father would want to do is raise up his kids to follow in his footsteps and, and do what he would want them to do. So he places them as, as judges over Israel, even though they weren't called by God. Every other judge was put there by God in scripture. These kids have no right to do that. So verse two, the name of his firstborn was Joel and the second was Abijah. They were the judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. We see it, right? Samuel did something kind of out of the ordinary, trying to, to fix a problem that he saw coming on his own, and he puts his sons as judges, and, the, and his sons are not the best guys. They, weren't, they didn't walk in the same way Samuel walked. They weren't repentant towards God. And so the elders come to Samuel in verse 4. It says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old. This, is, this has happened with nearly every character we've talked about, right? Moses got old. Joshua got old. Now Samuel's getting old. Uh, so the people come to Samuel and say, Look, you're old. Very flattering. And your sons, they don't walk in your ways. Now, make us a king to judge us like all the nations. So here's what's going on. Samuel recognized a problem. He cannot be the leader forever because he's mortal. And so he tries to fix the problem on his own. He puts his sons as the judges over, over Israel. He appoints them to be the next leaders without God telling him to do so. And then the people of Israel come and they say, listen, your sons, bad idea. We like you, but you're old. So we need to figure something out. 
will you give us a king? Everybody sees the problem, and everybody's trying to fix the problem and tell God how to fix the problem. Samuel said, my solution is to make my sons leaders. The people are saying, why don't you give us a king so that we can be like everybody else? And this is the real thing. Their, their hearts are changing. They've been repentant and following God throughout the leadership of Samuel, but Samuel is looking weaker, and they're going, can we just be like everybody else? Give us a king. Verse 6, but the thing displeased Samuel. When they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So Samuel finally does the thing he should have been doing this whole time. When Samuel saw a problem about a vacuum of leadership coming when he dies, because he knows he's getting old, he should have been praying to God about who the next leader would be. Can he help? Can he mentor the next leader? Instead, he decides to fix the problem on himself, by himself. The elders of Israel are saying, no, we have a different solution. We want a king. We want to be like the rest of the nations, and they've rejected God. And so now Samuel finally is pushed to do the thing he should have been doing, is pray and seek God's heart. How often does this apply to each one of us? I see a problem, so I want to fix it. I know what my solution is, so I'm just going to implement my solution. Uh, and we wait until it blows up in our face to ask God why it went wrong. And this is what's happening to Samuel. And God responds, they haven't rejected you. Don't take, don't take it personally. If anyone should be taking it personally, it's God, because God's the one who's been rejected they're in a theocracy. God has been their king. Samuel has been the vessel through which God has reigned, but they don't have an actual king on this earth because they're, they're supposed to be worshiping God, and they're rejecting this idea. In verse 8, according to all the works which they have done since the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. Now, this is not a surprise to God. If you remember back when we were in Deuteronomy, in chapter 17, Moses predicted that at some point they would get into the land, they would settle in the land, and they would be asking for a king to rule over them, just like all the other nations. It's Deuteronomy 17, 14. That's what Moses wrote. He said that was going to happen. This is not a surprise to God. That doesn't mean it doesn't sting. He's telling the people, or he's telling Samuel, the people have, they've turned against him. They've rejected him. And it's not a new story. Throughout this whole time of settling the land in the time of the judges, they repent and then go back to worshiping the foreign gods. Then they repent and go back to worshiping the foreign gods. And this is not a surprise that they're rejecting God. And so God is just telling Samuel, you really shouldn't be that surprised. You've had a good run but this isn't shocking. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. Some will run over, uh, and some will run before his chariots. So he's going to take their sons and basically make them members of the army. 
take them away from their families. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties, will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and make some to make his weapons of war and equipment for chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, bakers, and he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants, and he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys, and put them to work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. So God is talking through Samuel to these people and saying, you really understand what you're asking for. You're asking to be servants of a person rather than servants of me. And when you become a servant to this person, rather than giving an offering of worship, instead stuff is going to be taken from you. There's going to be taxes that are taken from you, pieces of part of your land, part of your crops. Your sons will be taken from you to be used as instruments of war and to create instruments of war. Now, this is actually part of the reason that they're asking for a king. All of the nations around them consistently try to invade Israel, and they all have kings with organized armies. Israel doesn't have that. In fact, what you see throughout the book of Judges is every once in a while, when someone's invaded the land and, their heart, and Israel has hardened their hearts, when someone finally has a repentant heart and God gets back on the side of Israel, he raises up a judge who may lead and grab some men to lead an army, or the judge himself, like Samson, might just go and take out the army himself. And God just leads individuals, but they don't have a consistent force working to defend the nation because God is their defense. And so they're saying, we don't want to put our trust in God anymore. We want to create our own defense. We want a king, we want an army, we want to be like everybody else, and we want to, you know, this, this whole thing, God... God has been doing to protect us. They're not thankful for it anymore. They want to do it their way. And so Samuel says, you do realize this is how it's going to be. It's going to be oppressive and recognize this king that God will choose. You chose him. You asked for this. You have chosen a king for yourselves. So nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. There it is, right? They want the army. They want the king. They want to be like the rest of the world. They're sick of depending on God to defend them. That's not exactly the best place to be. Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his city. Chapter 9. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bechrath, the son of Ephiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power, and he had a choice and a handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person Then he, among the children of Israel, from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. What is God doing? You get this guy, he's head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He's more handsome than everybody else. He's basically got this outward appearance of exactly what the people would want. They want the best of the best to be the king. God's giving them the people's choice. 
He's given them what they asked for. And so you get this description of Saul as this extremely handsome man, head and shoulders taller than the rest. If you need a, a real world example, just look up here. I'm known for my height and beauty um, or not. But Saul is this, this specimen. And so we get to verse 3 after this description of Saul. So we can really see that God is doing, he's giving people over to their heart's desire. He's giving them what they would ask for. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise. Go and look for the donkeys. So this is interesting. This whole thing starts, you know, probably the heading in your Bible says over chapter nine, Saul chosen to be king. And it starts out with just Saul looking for donkeys. I mean, it's important. He works the farm. Donkeys are important as use for travel and as use for farming and plowing and they're beasts of burden. So they're important. He's out looking for them. Just kind of a normal everyday guy looking for donkeys. And what happens? He passes through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha. But they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Sha'alin, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. These donkeys, just can't find them. When they had come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. And Saul is like, this is taking a really long time. We've traveled a really long way. My father's probably starting to worry about us more than the donkeys at this point. We should just go back. And he said to him, Look, now, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that where he should go. So this servant of Saul's finds out Samuel's in town, where they are. And he says, maybe Samuel will know. He's a prophet. Whatever he says comes true. Maybe we should just check with him before we go back. So Saul said to his servant, but look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone. There is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? So the servant answered again and said, Look, I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, Come, let us go to the seer, for he is now called a prophet, but was formerly called a seer. It's a little note that lets us know that prophets used to be called seers. I guess that's important. So Saul said to his servant, well, well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was, and they went up to the hill to the city. They met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? So they get to a well, a pretty communal place in the city. They see some women drawing water, pretty normal stuff. And Saul says, hey, do you know if Samuel's here, basically? Is the prophet here? Is the seer here? And they answered and said, yes. There he is, just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to the city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. As soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat, for the people will not eat until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now therefore, go up about this time, you will find him. So they went up to the city, and they were coming into the city, and there was Samuel coming out toward them up the way to the high place. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. 
and you shall anoint him commander of my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. So God is giving them over to their desire to reject him, and they want a king. God saw this coming all the way back in Moses' time. And now he's telling Samuel, all right, here's the guy. When you see him, you'll know, anoint him. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there he is, the man whom I spoke to you, the one who shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, please tell me, where is the seer's house? And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, don't be anxious about them, for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? It is not on you and on all your father's house. And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families in the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? This is a good start for Saul. Now, Saul's end is not very good. God kind of knows where this is going, but Saul's start is pretty good. He sees Samuel. He asks if he's a prophet. He desires to bring something to the prophet that's worthwhile. Samuel tells him all kinds of good stuff about his, his donkeys. This all happened because some donkeys were lost. God, this is God's providence at max, right? Some usual everyday thing. Lost some donkeys. He's been looking for days for donkeys, and all of a sudden, he's now going to be anointed king over Israel, <laughs> right? Now, that's a good day. And your donkeys are found. So he, he eats with them. And, and Saul's humility, right? Why? Why me? I'm, I'm from the smallest tribe. And my family, my family's from the smallest clan in the smallest tribe. Why me? This means that Saul's beauty and height apparently didn't get to him in the beginning. We'll see what happens as this story plays out. But so far, Saul's pretty humble. Now Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought him into the hall and set him in uh, and had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. That were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. So the cook took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, here it is. What was kept back, it was set apart for you. Eat, for this time has been kept for you. Since I said, I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. When they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house, they arose early, and it came out about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house, saying, Get up, that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. So Samuel takes Saul, brings him in, puts him in the most honored position at the table, which Jesus has parables about that, about how important that was in the culture, to be seated at the, the place of honor. And he sits Saul in the place of honor, and he gives him the best meat, the choice meat, the thigh. This is an important thing that's happening here. And Samuel talks to Saul. So as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go ahead of us. And he went on, but you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of God. Now Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, it is not because the Lord has anointed you it is not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance. When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, and then they will say to you, 
the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There are three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. They will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. After that, you shall come to the hill of God, where the Philistine garrison is, and it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. That is a lot of stuff. Apparently, Samuel really knew what was going to happen to Saul because he had a whole litany of things figured out. You're going to meet these guys. They're going to have goats, wine, bread. They're going to give you stuff. You're going to go up to the mountain, meet some prophets. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to start prophesying. And the Holy Spirit will turn you into a different man when the Spirit comes upon you. That's pretty awesome. So what happens? And let it be when these signs come to you, that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So it was, when he turned his back to go from Samuel, that God gave him another heart, and those signs came to pass that day. So Saul felt something different. He felt the presence of God. Everything that Samuel said came true. So when they came to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, the people said to one another, What is this that came upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Then a man there answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb. Is Saul among the prophets? So basically, this was so strange. People who knew Saul knew that this was something he had never done. All of a sudden was prophesying, and they're like, this is weird. He's now a prophet. That it became colloquial, like a slang term for when crazy stuff happens in Israel. They're like, is Saul among the prophets? That's kind of cool. But Saul was changed in a, in a moment. The Spirit changed him. I mean, I understand what this is like for me coming from a background of, I never went to church. I didn't have a Bible. None of church meant nothing. To, I didn't really know what happened in churches. I didn't know that the Bible was in chapters and verses. I never heard any of the stories. I knew that David and Goliath meant something about a little guy meeting a, beating a big guy, but I'd only ever heard it as myth or some colloquial term that means the underdog has a chance. That's all I ever knew. And uh, then... Scripture got presented to me for the first time when I was just about to turn 16 years old and my life turned on its head and I opened up a Bible for the first time in my life, heard Scripture for the first time in my life, and things made sense that never made sense before. I understand what Saul's talking about. And this is amazing. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit comes into you, you can do things you never believed you could. You know, another example is, I'm not the handiest fella. I didn't, you know, I grew up in a town. Uh, it was very rural. 
And, you know, a lot of the people there, the masculine values are really treasured, and I just didn't fit into that box, right? Like, I didn't understand tractors or carpentry. So I didn't really fit in. But when I was in my mid-20s, I went on a missions trip to New Orleans because of Hurricane Katrina. And, uh, well, not New Orleans. I went to Biloxi, Mississippi. New Orleans kind of got the bulk of the missionaries. So I went to Mississippi where there was a little bit less attention paid. And we were looking to finish this person's house who had their, their life washed away by the hurricane. Uh, and we were, re- we were rebuilding their house and we were finishing the deck on the house so that they could have their family back for Thanksgiving. This would be the first time they were able to have their family with them since the hurricane, and it was a few years after the hurricane. And I'm doing construction work with this group of, of people doing missionary work. I have no idea what I'm doing. But for some reason, I ended up becoming one of the most reliable people on the missions trip to do weird, odd jobs. And I was just, for some reason, I, I can't do it today. I can't do the work in my own house. But for some reason, on that missions trip, I just was able to do things that I was never able to do before. Because when you're doing work for God, God can give you the spirit. He can give you the answers to give that you didn't see coming. He can give you knowledge that you need when you didn't know you needed it. He can give you gifts when you're doing his work. And so this is what Saul's experiencing. And it's so weird that it becomes kind of a catchphrase in Israel. Is Saul among the prophets? God is doing something crazy. And when he finished prophesying, he went to the high place. So then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, where did you go? Right, so now the world is catching up to him. Yeah. I remember the day that I got, uh, I got saved, the day that I met Jesus, when I, I finally decided, I mean, I shouldn't say finally, it was a pretty sudden moment. Scripture was open to me, I saw the truth, and I knew I wanted to be a part of it. And I got home late from youth group, and I'm excited because I've met God, I've heard scripture for the first time, but then I get home and, the f- and I'm excited, I'm happy, my world has changed, I know that God is real, and my parents yell at me, right? Because I'm late and I didn't tell them. And so this is sort of the, the world is coming, crashing into Saul, right? He's had this crazy experience. He's been with Samuel, the prophet. The spirits come on him. He, he's been prophesying and now he's home and his uncle says, where did you go? The donkeys are here. Why are you not back? And so he said, to look for the donkeys. When we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me please what Samuel said to you. So Samuel said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel said. So Samuel tells Saul that he's going to be the king of Israel. He anoints him over Israel as the king. Saul prophesies. Saul decides not to tell his uncle any of this. Instead, he just keeps it about the donkeys. It's like, I went to go look for donkeys. I met Samuel, the prophet that we all know, and uh, he told me the donkeys were found. And that's the whole story he tells his uncle because he's just not really ready to face the world yet. What's happened? This is actually part of that humility that Saul had at the beginning. He's not ready to take charge and be what God be in the place God put him in. You know, in retrospect, after you read this story, this was probably the smartest Saul had ever been. 
because the people asked for Saul. This wasn't God's original plan, but the people asked for a king because they were trying to fix a problem. They were trying to fix a problem on their own rather than let God do it in his own timing. They decided our timing is better than God's, so we're asking for a king now because Samuel's getting old. When is Samuel going to find time to re- find a replacement for us? He's getting old. We need to fix this. We need to have a new leader now. I mean, not to bury the, bury the lead, but you read through the story, it turns out Samuel lived long enough to anoint David as the next king of Israel. And if the people would have been patient and decided to let God work in his own timing and seek after his will rather than try to fix the problem on their own, they could have had the rightful king right away. So Saul, he doesn't even want to talk about it. And Samuel called the people together and the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and the hand of all the kingdoms of all those who oppressed you. But you have rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversaries and tribulations. And you have said to him, no, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. This is a, Samuel is preaching as a prophet. Now, we often get caught up in prophets predicting the future as though that's their main responsibility. It's not. It happens biblically, but a prophet's main responsibility is correction. The prophet's main responsibility is to tell you when you're acting sinful and correct you by the word of God. And Samuel is being pretty honest right now. He says, today you rejected God. He saved you from all your adversaries and tribulations. He brought you up out of Egypt, but you have said, not good enough. We want a human king. Verse 20, when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near the tribe of Benjamin... Uh, was chosen when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by the families. The family of Matri was chosen, and Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But then they sought him. He could not be found. Before they inquired of the Lord further, has the man come here yet? So Samuel is pointed out, which I got to say, I kind of feel bad for Saul a little bit. This is sort of thrust on him in this moment. The people asked for a king. Samuel is being pretty honest about them. You rejected God. You want a king? Here he is. Here, meet him. And then all the people say, where is he? Has he come here yet? And the Lord answered and says, there he is hidden among the equipment. So Saul is hiding behind equipment like a coward. And I don't really blame him. If I was being appointed leader of something while a prophet of God was telling me how bad that is, I probably wouldn't want to be presented right away either. But that's where Saul finds himself. And so they ran and brought him from there. When he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. So this gives us a contrast from Saul's cowardice hiding to God's giving them what they want. They're giving them this beautiful specimen, this one who looks like a leader. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him? whom the Lord has chosen, that there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, long live the king. So this, his, his physical appearance makes them go, yay, long live the king. We got what we wanted. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel went, uh, sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul went home to, to Gibeah. 
and valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. So some of the people were like, this coward was hiding. What's he going to do? Then we actually see Saul in action. I'm going to try to go fast so that we can get through these next two chapters. Then Nahash, the Ammonite, came up and encamped against Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. And Nahash, the Ammonite, answered them, on this condition, I will make a covenant with you that I may put out all your right eyes and reproach on all of Israel. So an Ammonite is coming against a, t a city in Israel or a town in Israel and basically telling them, just surrender to us. And if you surrender to us, I'll just make you servants, but I'm going to gouge out your right eye. Sound good? Sound good to you? So the elders of Jabesh said to him, hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then if there is no one to save us, we'll come out to you. So their response to how does having your eyes gouged out sound as a peace treaty is, uh, can you give us a week? Let us think about it. See if anyone will help us. So the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the news in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, what troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. So Saul is still working in the fields. He's the king of Israel. He's farming. That's pretty cool at this moment. Things kind of change from this point forward. But then the spirit of the Lord of God came upon Saul when he heard the news and his anger was greatly aroused. So God's spirit came on Saul and now he's got this righteous anger. He's filled with God's anger. So he took a yoke of oxen, cut them into pieces and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by their hands of messengers saying, whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. So he's saying, I've cut up oxen, sent it all to you, so you know, if you don't come and fight with me, I'm going to do this to your, your oxen. Which, by the way, is what Samuel said. <laughs> he said, this is what the king will do. He'll take your, your crops and your livestock. He'll take from you if you don't do what he says. And so Saul gathers an army. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. When he numbered them in Bezek, the, the children of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah, 30,000. So there's 330,000 fighting men ready to take on this Ammonite. And they said to the messengers who come, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you will have help. The messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, tomorrow we will come out to you and you may do with us whatever seems good to you. That's a nice little trick. They go, oh, well, tomorrow we're going to surrender to you. You can gouge your eyes out tomorrow. Good? Good. That's nice. That's nice peace treaty talk. So it was on the next day that Saul put the people in three companies. So he divides the army up into three separate groups and they come into the midst of the camp in the morning watch, and killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered, so that two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is he who said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. So now Saul's gone in action, and he's rescued this city. So now the people are like, Hey, who are the, who are the ones who said Saul couldn't protect us? You come here and we'll kill you. Because now Saul's proved himself, and they're ready to defend their king. Uh, but Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. So right now, Saul is giving credit where credit is due. He's not taking credit. He's saying, I didn't do this. God rescued you. 
God came upon me, God did this. No one's dying for my name's sake today. This is a pretty good moment for Saul. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, where they made Saul king. Therefore, the Lord in Gilgal, there they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. There Saul and the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So up to this point, Samuel's old. His time to reign as judge is coming to a close. The people, they've decided they're going to fix the problem on their own. They ask for a king. They get Saul. Saul starts out pretty good. And now Samuel is about to say farewell as the judge. And we're going to end on chapter 12 in Samuel's farewell speech because the next chapter moving forward is Saul's failure. So now Samuel said to Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice in all that you said to me and have made a king over you. Samuel, I did what you asked. And now here's the king walking before you. I'm old and gray-headed, and look, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. And Samuel's saying, I, I did what you asked. I know I'm old, but I've been serving God since I was a kid. Since I was a kid. And he says, here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Or from those whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I'll restore it to you. So Samuel's saying, you, you rejected me as your leader. I'm still here. I'm old, but I'm, I'm still here. And you wanted, a, you wanted a king. You rejected God and me as his prophet. What have I done to you? Did I take, did I take your livestock? Did I, did I do something corrupt? Did I cheat you in any way? Tell me. I'll, I'll pay you back. And, and they said, you haven't cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. What? It's difficult to face. So he says to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron, and who brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore, stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord which he did to you and your father. Now he's going in his farewell speech, he's going to be a prophet again. He's going to tell them what they should have sought, what they should have seen about how great God has been for them. When Jacob had gone into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of Moab, and they fought against them. He's saying, when you were in trouble, God brought you, into, God brought you out of Egypt. And then when you turned on him, he sold you into the hands of foreign kings. But when you turned back to him, he raised up people to get you out of their hand. So then they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, but now deliver us from the hand of our enemies and we will serve you. So when God has turned your back, when you've turned your back on God and you finally repented and you asked for God to save you from what you've done wrong, what does God do? Verse 11, the Lord sent Jeroboam, which is Gideon, Bedan, Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelt in safety. He's saying, when you followed God, God protected you. 
God raised up people to judge you, and he protected you. And when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, but shall a king reign over us when the Lord God was your king? Or no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord God was your king. Now, therefore, this is important. Now, therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. And take note, the Lord has set a king over you. You asked for this. Things might seem good right now. Just remember, you asked for this. God's given you what you've wanted. That's true of a lot of the decisions we make on our own. When we turn our hearts on God, when we choose sin over obedience, it feels good in the short term. But just remember that you've turned your back on God. And he says, you chose this. But, verse 14, if you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Even though you've rejected God, if you can maintain repentance and humility and continue to follow him, God will be with you and your king. But if you choose to walk away from God, beware, because God sold you over to the kings of Moab and Philistines before. He'll do it again. Now, therefore, stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is today not the wheat harvest? I will call to the Lord, and he will send thunder and rain, that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great. which you have done in the sight of the Lord, I'm asking a king for yourselves. In asking a king for yourselves. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. So during the wheat harvest, when you need it to be nice and clear and a little bit breezy so you can separate the wheat from the chaff, Samuel says, today what I'm going to do is I'm going to call on the power of God to scare you. I'm going to send thunder and rain. I'm going to ruin this day for you. And he does. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of asking for a king for ourselves. So after this display, they finally get it. Oh, we should have just trusted God. So Samuel, please, please pray for us. Please pray for us that we won't die because of this sin. So Samuel said to the people, do not fear. You have done all this wickedness. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the Lord, listen, verse 22, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Even after all this, God loves you. That's true of the sinner. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're facing, God wants to love you. Just be humble before him and let him love you. Stop rejecting him. Moreover, as for me, Samuel, this is his, the, the height of his humility. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. So Samuel says, I will pray for you, 
I have to. Do not turn your back on God. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. So Samuel's words are this. You should have known better. You should not have turned your back against God. You should have not asked for a king because God was your king. But God loves you. He will not turn his back on you. Just be humble before him and serve him. This whole, this five, these five chapters are summed up in this way. Why do we try to fix the problems on our own rather than seek God and his will? A lot of this could have been avoided. And if you would wait on God's timing, the problem will be solved in the right way. Because Samuel's work, though he's old, is not done yet. And he does pretty soon anoint David as the next king of Israel, which would have been God's original plan. So all we need to do is remember to be humble before God, trust that he's not going to forsake us, and be willing to wait on his timing. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this story. Thank you for Samuel and for his heart, for his desire to see people come to you and not forsake you. Help us to have that same heart. We live in a society that is turning its back on you. How can we have the heart of Samuel? How can we come to people with boldness and let them know that they've turned against you, but that you love them? And if you would just soften your heart, God will not forsake you. How can we let them know that? Help us to be like Samuel, to stand firm and boldly in the truth, but still have compassion enough to pray for those who reject you and hope that they would find your love and continue to show it to them. In Jesus' name, amen.